Good morning, everybody. We're in that wonderful time of year where we are uh, kind of between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, as you, if you've been around Sunnybrook for a while, you know that one of the things that we really do love to do is to, uh, to look at what God has done for us and then to say, okay, how do we respond? How do we, how do we move from here? And so every year there's usually uh, kind of a couple of trees that are located in our lobby. Um, one of them is for a ministry that we support in Kansas, Oklahoma. That's not a state and a state. It's a city and a state. Kansas, Oklahoma, Cooks and Hills. And uh, every year we buy gifts and presents for the, the residents of that place. And so would love for you to connect. If you go back, I think there are still some available. Um, I think we've already run out. Maybe um, you guys were able, some, to, able to pick them up. Um, but the other tree out there is for Angel Tree, which is a, a ministry that uh, reaches out to families that are in need during this time of year because uh, one of their parents of these children is, uh, in, is incarcerated at the time. And so these two ministries we've been supporting long before I even got here and uh, would love for you to connect to that because it's important for us in light of what we're going to learn today to look at what God has done for us and say, okay, how do we respond and one of the things that we should not do, this is not Christian, by the way. It's not Christian to look at what you have and go, oh, I have so much more than anybody else has. I should feel bad. That, that usually is not the case. Now, if you really feel convicted about that, well, the good news is you can share that with others. And that really is the Christian response. The Christian response is not one of guilt as much as it is one of conviction. And the Holy Spirit convicts. And the Holy Spirit moves. And so this year, as we look at what God has done for us in Christ, as we look for how God has blessed us, we don't just look at it and go, oh man, I just feel terrible because I have all this stuff. Hey, God's got a great way of, of, uh, of through his spirit to motivate you and to convict you to help share that with others. And so that's kind of how we understand um, the giving thing is we look at what God has done for us, and it then moves us to, uh, to, to share that with others. Today we are going to continue in our series of Matthew's Gospel. We are in chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at a, a parable that most of you have probably heard. It's one of those parables that we wrestle with. We usually have conversations about people who at the last minute accept Christ, and uh, kind of live their lives, their entire lives, any way that they want. And at the last minute, they, they give their life to Jesus Christ. And then we ask the question, do you think God still let them into heaven? But the parable goes much further than that. It goes much deeper than that. This parable actually asks us this question. And, and you got to just stop for a second and be honest. Our, our first reaction to things um, because I don't think we spend enough time truly reflecting on what God has done for us. The first response I want to ask you this question is, is that, um, are you ever offended by grace? Like offended by it? I can't not believe. I can't just, oh, that is just, there is something wrong with that. There is something broken with that. There is something, Brady used this word, there is something unfair about that. Is that ever your response? And I would say the more that we look at how we consider the faith that we have in Jesus, for those of you in this room right now, that have a faith in Jesus, that have a life that is in Christ, that have a hope that is found in him, that how much that you truly appreciate and understand that that has been given to you by God, it is truly a gift 
you didn't earn it, that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ because you're good. I would even argue you're not a follower of Jesus Christ because you were born in the Bible Belt, although I get what Brady was saying. But I know a lot of people that are born in the Bible Belt that don't follow Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people, actually, that are born in the Bible Belt that go to church regularly, and I don't know if they know Jesus Christ. This, this, this story really comes to us, and it shows us the full extent of God's um, amazing love, his amazing grace. And it's easy to sing about it, but to truly reflect on it and to truly receive it is something that kind of stirs up within us some resentment. It's, it's like when I preach a sermon on divorce and I have some people that will say to me, you know, I, I just, I would like a little more hellfire and brimstone. You know what I mean? And you know what I think? I know exactly what you mean. I don't even know if that's necessarily wrong. And the Bible speaks very honestly about the judgment of God being poured out. Right? You may have thought that. I thought Jim went a little light on that topic. I may have. Where, where, where does that come from? That's not probably just you. I mean, sure, your, your topic might be topic X, but we all have that a little bit. We all have a little bit of that, oh, I, just, I really think you were too lenient on him. I really think you let him get away with that. For those of you that are married, if you had that conversation with your spouse, I just think you're too soft on the kids. Yeah, well, I think you're too hard, right? Are you offended by God's grace? Um, there's a, a song that we sing right? every every Christmas time. We we love to sing Christmas carols, right? So you, you know you know this one. You better watch out. You better not cry. Isn't that creepy to tell kids not to cry? You better not pout. That makes a little more sense. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. That's creepy. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why, because Santa Claus is coming to town. What's interesting is that whole song flies in the face of grace. And this is what we teach our children that Christmas is all about. <laughs> don't, we? Don't, don't we? How many of you have said this to your kids? You better be good, because if you're not good, then you're not going to get. You ever done that? I've done that. I believe in grace. I preach in grace. And then I also teach, if you're not good, you're not gonna get. And I'll tell you, you say you're not good and you're not gonna get, and then, and then you let the kids get, and then you go, man, I'm just confusing them now. Grace is really difficult. I, I had a, a teacher that used to tell me all the time that if we preach grace and we're not deeply offended, then we probably have not preached grace to its depths, to its fullest extent. And every time I hear that, I go, well, wait a second, wait a second, here's the problem. We always gotta make sure that, and I've always got this little, you know, this little addendum I wanna add to it. You know, God's grace is profoundly um, offensive to us. Because every one of us, to some degree, actually believe, this is the crazy part, we actually believe that we deserve it, to some degree. 
text begins like this. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 begins with this. For the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you see that word for, just jump out in a text like this, you got to stop and go, okay, this is connecting to something. I, I, I really do wrestle or struggle with uh, verse divisions or chapter divisions. They're very helpful to kind of link things together, but they're actually not as helpful as they could be um, because there's an idea that, that Matthew is extending over. And so for us to take a look at where he is coming from for the kingdom of heaven, he is continuing a conversation that, he's already, uh, that we already discussed last week, okay? So last week we described this idea that Jesus Christ is, is teaching that only those who put themselves last will be first and the first will be last. Those who recognize their complete and utter dependence upon God. And uh, he really describes that rich people, those who are self-sufficient, those who are self-sustaining, are not able to get into heaven because they do not value and appreciate who God is. They've lived their whole lives putting themselves first and, and, and being in control of their circumstances that unlike children who know who they are, rich people fail to recognize their need for God. And he ends that chapter in verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So it's continuing the thought. This is what happens in your attitude towards the things that you have, and God is the great giver of these things. And then this becomes your attitude in terms of God's kindness to us, God's grace to us, and you need to be okay with this. Look at verse, how verse 1 continues. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. So those are key words. We have a master and we have laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, and it just suffice it to stay historically, a denarius a day would be a, a living wage. How much a worker who you would find in the marketplace would make if he was doing manual labor. There was an incredible gap between the wealthy and the incredibly poor. A denarius was something that a person could use to live on, but only live on. I'll give you a denarius and he sent them into his vineyard, and then going about on the third hour, which would now be around nine o'clock in the morning, so they're starting rather early, nine o'clock in the morning, so on the third hour, it says, um, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And basically that whatever is right is saying, hey, it's a denarius a day, you're working less than that, whatever I decide at the end, whatever's right, I will make sure that you get that. So they went. Going out again at about the sixth hour, which would be around noon, and then on the ninth hour, which would be at three in the afternoon, he did the same. He found people in the marketplace willing to work. He says, you go and work. I will do you right. And then at the 11th hour, that's five o'clock. Now, their day would go sun up to sundown, right? So roughly six to six at five o'clock. The 11th hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. We'll come back and talk about what he may be teaching us from that phrase. Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired at the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. 
Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled, which is what ungrateful people do. The reason why we grumble, uh, the reason why we complain, it's essentially because we believe we have been wronged, that we know what is right, that if we were in charge, we would have done it this way, and the way that things are happening is not the way that it should be. Essentially, it's, it's you and I, if we're laborers, playing the role of the master. If we're kids, it's, it's kids complaining about parents who don't get it. If it's employees, it's employers who do not understand. If it's players, it's a coach who doesn't get it. They, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last, work, these last worked only one hour and you gave them, uh, sorry, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you read this and go, yeah, they've actually got a point. Like that actually isn't fair. That is not right. That is, just, I mean, somebody should take this guy to court. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Are you ready for this? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's the strange offense of grace. Do you begrudge my generosity? And so Jesus then gives the same phrase in the same order. And so the last will be first and the first last. Essentially what he's saying is this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's not giving an ideal. This is the part that I find fascinating as I even get ready for next week's message as we continue into chapter 20. A lot of us look at these, these attributes of, of letting go of our wealth. We look at these attributes of, um, of, of being okay with those around us who are receiving generously the gifts of God. Next week, we'll look at, honestly, what it means to be a servant and to be honest, to just recognize I'm nothing more than a servant. I'm here to serve. To do this is not character traits within the kingdom, it's what the kingdom is. It's what the kingdom just naturally does. I, I have spent too much of my life trying to live in the kingdom instead of living very naturally and normally as someone who is part of the kingdom. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I should be acting this way. I don't feel it. How do you know what it's like to begrudge somebody who's been given something that you think you deserve? Everybody been there? I just don't think that's fair. This, this is one of the parts that my dad was so good at. My, my dad was, was very, my dad's very aware of the fact that everything he has is in fact his. And I don't mean that selfishly. I don't mean that he doesn't understand that it comes from God. But my dad likes to make it very, very clear um, that he is the one who God has appointed to be leader of the home and leader of his finances, and he really isn't interested in your thoughts regarding it. And, and my dad, all the way through life, all the way through life, now, now I see some intentionality. When I was a kid, I thought he was just trying to drive me crazy. 
as I got older, I began to see some intentionality. My, my dad loved to just kind of sporadically and spontaneously, like, just bestow very nice things, very, very generous, very kind on one of us kids, and then watch the rest of us kids respond. I just can't remember a time when he did such a thing that any of us went, oh, Carolyn, look at that. That is awesome that you got more than any of us. Praise be our father, Frank. (laughs) We never did that. Dad, how come you let Carolyn do that? Why did you, how come I didn't get to do that? Why didn't you, and and, and my dad loved doing this. He'd say, "Why, why are you acting that way? Well, Dad, it's not fair. Who, who, who says life, you've heard this one, right? Who says life is fair? It's not about fair. And my dad would always say, can I not do what I want with my money? Can I not do what I want? And then my dad would point out, hey, last week when I did that to you, you didn't complain. Well, because that's because it was me. He was the master of this. Now I see where he got it from. Now I see what he was actually trying to do. It's hard, is it not? Is it not hard to look at someone else who has been given some incredible gifts by God and not just hate too strong of a word? Although some of us do that too. What's a good Christian word? Resent. I just resent the fact that you don't suffer like me. I just resent the fact that you have it easier than me. I just resent the fact that you have, I just resent the fact, and it's interesting because then when people say that, those who seem to have been given more gifts usually just come into a responsible, you don't know how hard I've worked. You don't know how hard I've slaved. You don't know how much dedication I put into this. You, You do realize that both sides of that don't understand grace. Think about that. It's not fair. It is so fair, I work to get what I have. Oh, you you get grace. So how do we move forward? How How do we come to grips with the profound truth that Jesus is going to tell us over and over and over again? This is what kingdom life looks like. This isn't just something that we aspire to. This is something that we join into when we say, I, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I accept the free gift of his grace for me. And it has fundamentally changed how I look at myself and the world, how I look at others, how I look at God. His grace is truly amazing. Because I, I think most of us, when we come into faith, when we are converted, when we go from lost to save, it, it's, more like, um, it's more like a really good sales pitch. Hey, let me, let me show you some things that you can get if you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me show you about some things that God's got offered for you. It's pretty good. I mean, you get eternal life. Um, you get a better marriage. Um, if you take our Financial Peace University class, you can, you can have better finances so you can have nicer stuff. Um, we've got really good programming for your kids and we'll, we'll really, we'll stress things like that, well, how they should handle themselves sexually and how they, we've got all that stuff for you. And, and okay, you, you do have to go to church regularly, but don't worry, not unless you've got something better that you need to do. But make sure you do it as a family, because then you don't have to feel really bad about, you know, and, and, and a lot of us have been sold kind of a version which isn't, you are lost, and you need God's grace, 
and it has already been provided for you through Jesus Christ, you have no idea, you have no idea what God has done for you, and you have no idea how desperate you are, or at least should be. How do we return to that? How do I un, unlearn, un, how do I learn again maybe to appreciate all of what God has done for me? First of all, it's good this text teaches us that to truly understand God's grace and to move from being offended by it and having an opinion on everything to being a grateful recipient, number one, it's to trust in God's prerogative. I think this is where we've made a lot of mistakes. God becomes marketer. God becomes the one who's going to show us the upside of kingdom life. God is the one who's got a lot of things for you, and in the end, it's gonna be better for you if you do this. But by the way, there, there is a, a truth in all of those things. It is better. It, it is more real and it is more profound. I mean, to follow God and to receive what he has for us does give us the life that is better and is full and has purpose and meaning and, and goes on and on forever. It has those things, but where we have made some serious mistakes is failing to recognize the fundamental, foundational prerogative of God in all of this. I like how one person wrote it, that instead of a God to be worshiped, many of us just really worship a God to be used. Here's what I need from you. And it moves very quickly from here's what I need from you to here's what I deserve from you. And by the way, if you don't ever um, think that you do that move between, hey, here's what I need and here's what I deserve, have you ever felt like God didn't do you right? Have you ever felt like for a moment that somehow what you have and what you're experiencing is just not right? It's just not, how many of you have ever thought your life wasn't fair? See, that's how we know, that's how I know that I've clearly moved from someone who is a recipient of God's grace to someone who, who now knows better than he does how to dispense it. I've truly forgotten my place in trusting the foundational prerogative of God. You know, we, we, we live within a, um, a theological movement that believes in and expresses the freedom that we have as humans. That God gave us free will and free choice. Now, I would strongly argue that the freedom that you and I experience is always under the direct sovereignty of God. How that works, I don't fully know. That it works, I believe completely. That God is himself sovereign over all of the choices that you and I make. But notice what Matthew is teaching from verse 15 of this text. What does he say? Am I not allowed, this is, this is God speaking as the owner, right? Am I not allowed to do what I choose? I want you to hear God in, in, in your life as you wrestle with and struggle with the misappropriation of grace or the lack of grace that you feel he hasn't given to you. Listen to this statement. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? That is why we go back over and over and over and over again that God is the creator of all things, that if we fail to recognize God as creator, God is the one who owns, God is the one who designed, without that it is easy for us to then to slip into the ownership position and then to stand as judge over him. But that's not the way the Bible actually teaches things came to be. 
So instead of you and I standing as owner, rightful judge over, you and I are recipients made in his image. We are under him. And hear those words of God. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? I I like to remind myself more than I even like to remind anybody else that of all the beings in the universe, of all the beings in the universe that are free, God is the most free. And I'm so grateful for that. So grateful that that God has has a plan that we'll talk about in a moment. That God has a prerogative. That God has a choice. And the amazing thing about his grace is that by his love, he chose us. The prerogative of God. Notice what he says. Am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? You know what that word, you know what that phrase literally is at the very end there? You'll you'll think, how did they get there? Well, they're they're trying to explain this. Literally in the Greek, it says this. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? That's what he's trying to get at here. This is what happens to people who forget the grace that has been given to them. That when they see it given, when they see it offered, when they see it in a place that they don't agree with, then what? Then evil sets in. Envy sets in. Is your eye evil? Because I am good. And this is what grace does to us. What? I thought grace was something that we just freely received. Yes. But after freely received, and you you move down the road a little bit, okay, we freely receive it, and then we begin to convince ourselves we've worked hard for it. And in the end, although we kind of theoretically go all the way back to the beginning, sure, I know that in the beginning, but I'll tell you, I mean, I know God gave me grace at the beginning, but I've been working hard for him for 36 years. So I know that to start the ball rolling, I really, really needed him, but I'll tell you, the relationship has changed. Right? Remember being really grateful for the job you got? Remember being really, really grateful for the relationship that she started with you, and you're going, how did I get here? This is better than I deserve. And now she owes you. You been there? You look at your child, and it's just, it's a gift. I don't know. I don't know what we did to deserve this. Let some time sink into that one. You'll act like you own them. What frees us from that? Trusting in the prerogative of God. I don't fully understand what you are doing, but I know you. There's a great lesson that my wife and I learned um, in kind of a marriage book that we did years ago with our life group. Um, the, The book is entitled Love and Respect. And in that book, one of the greatest lessons I've ever been given is that when you know your spouse, and I did, I married a very good woman, when you know your spouse, that even when you don't understand what she's doing, that happens a lot to me, I don't understand what she's doing, I remember her heart. And her heart is good. So although I don't understand why you're doing this, I know that her heart is good. And if that's true between me and Andrea, 
How much more true is it for us and God? Do you realize how that fundamentally changes every prayer you will ever make? God, I don't understand why you're saying no to this. God, I don't understand why you're allowing me to go through this. God, I don't understand why you're asking me to forgive them. God, I don't know why you're wanting me to stay in this situation and patiently endure. But I know you. And I know your heart is good. And I trust your prerogative. The second thing that helps us understand how this grace is worked out is not only do we trust in God's prerogative, his right to do what he wants, but also trusting in his perspective. See, what I love about this story is it's so easy for us to associate with one of the characters in the parable. But you know what's almost impossible for us to do? Is to think about all of them simultaneously. Why? Because I'm just, I'm just one of them. I'm just, I'm just one of the workers, just like you. But if you look at the perspective that God has over all of this, we look at verse one, what does it say? For the kingdom of heaven is like, it's, a, it's like a master, that would be God, who went out early into the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And what you and I fail to understand or to value or appreciate is that God is the one who is the master, who has a perspective that doesn't have me in view, it has all of us in view. I'm not trying to get you to kind of feel sorry for God. I just want you to understand, imagine, okay, imagine this. We just came through a Thanksgiving time, okay? One of those, maybe you don't need to raise your hand moments, but have you ever been in a situation when you're with family and you're just trying to make sure that everyone's happy? right? Moms, you're just trying to make sure that everyone's happy, that everyone's enjoying themselves. You think everybody's happy, you think they're enjoying themselves, you think they like, you think they like. Okay, so imagine that. Let's just say that, um, let's say you're the parents of everyone in Stillwater. Imagine what it would be like to try to manage all of those relationships. Can you fathom what that would be like? And, and yet God... <laughs> His vineyard. God is over, over all. Do you ever, ever just stop and just appreciate his perspective? Um, I, I know what it's like to be in charge of others, and I often wonder, they just don't know what it's like to, to have to kind of make sure that everybody is cared for. I know what it's like to be a parent and, and literally thinking, my, my kids think that they know better. They don't understand my perspective. They don't understand that what I'm actually trying to do, where I'm trying to lead, the reason why I said no, the reason why I said yes, the reason why I said wait, is they just don't, I, don't, I, I, I also know what it's like to be um, an employee and to say, I don't think he gets it. I don't think she understands. I know what it's like to be a child and to just say, what is wrong with mom and dad? Why aren't they giving us what we want? This parable helps me just stop for a moment and appreciate God's perspective on all of this. See, because God, the God of all of these workers, cares for all of them. And it actually wasn't until I was a parent that I understood the value of each child valuing each other child. Before it was just a perspective, it was actually me versus Carolyn, me versus Deborah. Right? It was me or her. And my dad would try to say, that's, like, that's, not, that's not a good family attitude to have. 
And, and from my father's perspective, what he could see was, no, this, this is the way you all need to appreciate just how grateful you should be to be a part of this family. When it comes to God's grace and how he dispenses and how he is kind and how he is gracious, do you spend more time just worrying about your small, minute, little, tiny little world? Or can you just stop for a moment and just appreciate the fact that the master of the vineyard is so good and so wise that he is caring for others just like you. That's one of the reasons why I'm okay with Japan. That's one of the reasons why I'm okay with Stillwater in terms of the, the complexity. I just, I know the heart of God and I know his prerogative to do what he wants with everything that belongs to him and I know that his perspective is true and right and that teaches me to just slow down and reflect on and to appreciate grace instead of just being offended by it. Lastly, what we do is we trust in God's plan. If he's got a prerogative and he's got a perspective, then he must have a plan, and he does. And God's plan is this, is that not only does he know of everyone's need for him, but then God begins to invite workers to be a part of his plan so that his kingdom might continue to grow. See, what Jesus is doing is he is inviting disciples to join him in God's plan of spreading this grace everywhere. And what he doesn't want is for disciples to come and to realize, hey, now that I have it, I'm just gonna settle down and enjoy life. Now that I've been giving, given eternal life, now that I've been given this understanding about who God is and my, my need for him, man, I'm gonna celebrate this. I'm gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna go back and, and build my own little small kingdom. Now, you don't build your own kingdom when you fully understand the grace that has been given to you. Like your understanding of wealth, your understanding of grace, both to you and others, your understanding of who we are, fundamentally is changed. And we see God's plan of offering amazing, completely unexplainable, yes, offensive grace to those who are not worthy, just like you and me. Here's how the Bible continues to teach it, that we need to understand, verse 16, that the last will be first and the first will be last. That is kingdom-like life. If you don't like it, then you're in the wrong kingdom. If that doesn't seem fair to you, then you don't understand just how desperate you are in God's plan. Ephesians chapter two, verses four through five teaches this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, you, me, and those who still don't know who Jesus Christ is. By grace we have been saved. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 teaches, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Why are we a church that believes in mission? Not just going on mission trips, but in the mission of the kingdom is because we know for a fact that the grace that has been given to us doesn't end with us. And how can we, in light of what God has given to us, how can we remain silent? 
Whether it is across the street, across town, across the state, or around the world, how can we take the free gift that has been given to us that we did not deserve and just hold on to it selfishly? Only by a lack of understanding of just how desperate we were and just how desperate many still are. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. We, we know Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But notice how it continues. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Not by you, not by me, but by him. The church, early church, had to really wrestle with this question. Imagine, I mean, the Jews hearing this lesson for the very first time had to come to grips with the fact that here they have been, the people of God, and now at the last minute, the Gentiles are going to be included, and they're just going to go right up. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you don't have to do the whole race. Just come right here to the finish line. Can you imagine if anybody had like an ax to grind? Like, wouldn't it be Paul? Wouldn't it be people like Peter and James and John and the rest who as a nation have just endured and endured and endured and God would say, seriously, you're the ones that have endured? You have failed me time and time and time again and I've always extended you grace. Don't you dare look down on those that I choose to include. Don't you remember that I chose you out of nothing and I made you into this. Everything that I have is yours. How can you begrudge any grace that I would show on those that I am letting in? And that is why you don't hear in the voice of Peter or Paul or James any kind of resentment. You know why they're not resentful? Because they know the grace they received. That's why Peter stands up in Acts 15, verse 11. How do we include these Gentiles in? Listen to this. For we believe, verse 11 of Acts 15, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That's why we go to Japan and to Africa and across the street and around the world. That's why at 5.30 this afternoon we're gathering to make a difference in our community. Why? It's because we have been given this grace so we will extend this grace. You know, there's a famous story in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal. It fits this story very, very well. In Luke 15, verses 31 and 32, the father says to the brother, who could not believe that the dad welcomed him home. He says to the older brother, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother, who is dead, is alive. He was lost and is now found. Dad, but how can you let him in the house? Dad, how can you just go back and pretend like none of this happened? And the father would say something like this, because that's who I am. Are you okay with that? Like, are you okay? Like, that's who God is. It's one thing to receive it. It's another thing to live in the shadow of it. A number of years ago, um, I had a difficult decision to make when my um, brother went wayward. And made some really poor choices and uh, in, in kind of in the face of, of uh, spiritual direction, in the face of advisement, he decided to choose a path that was rebellious against God and destructive for his family. 
I looked at the circumstances that, that me and my wife, that God had put us in. I looked at the, the boys that I was raising at the time. I looked at the, the places of leadership that I was in, and I knew that without a doubt, I needed to make a stand in regard to his life. And so for about nine years, we, uh, we didn't talk. I, I, I never said, I won't speak with you. I never turned down a phone call. I, I just, I, I made it clear to him that the, the path that he was on was clearly outside the path that God would choose and I was just practicing what the Bible teaches in terms of holding a brother in Christ accountable until he repented. Probably about six years into this journey, I was at an Orange conference in Atlanta, and the leader of Orange, Reggie, was actually preaching from Luke 15. And as he was preaching from Luke 15, I had an opportunity to just sit there and to hear the story being told again, and as the last few verses, verses 31 and 31, 31 and 32 are being told, I felt like one of the clearest God speak to me moments of my life. And God said to me, what I need you to do is I need you to go home. I was gonna be going home. Andrew and I were traveling back to, to Calgary um, over a, about a week long time. And, and God said, I need you to go home. I need you to find everyone in your family. And I need you to tell them that you would gladly welcome your brother should he return. And I'm in this conference and I, I said to God, I literally said to him, but God, you know I would. And he said, I know but your personality can be a problem sometimes. And I need you to humble yourself and I need you to go to your mom and your dad and your three other sisters and I need you to go, I need you to, go to everybody and, and just remind them, humble yourself and just remind them that you will gladly rejoice should he ever return. Okay, I'll do it. And we did. My wife and I sat there, and in all these different, I said, hey, guys, listen, I need you to just hear this. God told me to say it. I don't quite understand exactly why. And it was such a, uh, it was such a healthy time. It was such a humbling time. I kept asking, like, God, like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Like, I know I'm okay with this. And I love what he said to me over and over again. I'm not just doing it for you. Like, I want your mom and dad to see the love that you have for your brother. And I want your wife to see the love that you have for your brother. And I want you to see, and he kind of walked me through all of this, and uh, I'll be honest with you, it made three years after when he came home so profound. So profound. It's good to practice the grace that God has given to us. It's good for us to stop and to reflect on and to not just assume. It's good for us to truly ask one of the most difficult questions you may never need to ask, like, God, thank you for this grace. But tell me you, you did more than just save me so I could sit idly by and just watch church services. And God says, no, now that you've been a recipient of my grace, go and share it with others. Let's pray, God. May that be our heart's beat. I don't know the degree to which we wrestle. I just think that if all of us are honest, a lot of our spiritual inactivity is caused um, by some kind of deep-rooted belief that we are either not responsible or in some way deserving not responsible to extend the grace given to us, in which case we are hiding things in the ground and the Bible warns against that or 
Father, a little deserving. Instead, Father, may we move um, to be a kingdom people that are so grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ that we can't help but speak and share and love. God, teach us the joy of celebrating your grace wherever it may fall. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you leave, um, I can't think of a better text to land us in between Thanksgiving, thank you God, and Christmas, thank you God, and recognizing what he has done. If you want to continue this faith conversation, we would love to continue it with you. God bless, and we will see you next Sunday, unless you're coming at 5.30 to the gym where we're going to be getting ready for our go event, which we'd love for you to come to that too. Love you guys. See you Sunday.